As we enter the season where we're preparing our hearts for the resurrection, I'm going to encourage you, and this sermon today is going to be an introduction to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've put together a reading guide that will take you through, the, through this, this message, through Hebrews, from Wednesday of this week until Easter Sunday. There'll be a portion. Uh, we're going to send out an email that will have a link. And every day from Wednesday of this week, which is the 26th of February, until Easter Sunday, which is April 12th, there will come an email into your inbox with a portion from Hebrews, a thought for reflection, and an opportunity for prayer as we prepare our hearts. And I don't know what your background has ever been and what you may go through or, or try to attempt to do through a Lent. Um, you know, if you're giving up something or why do you do that? It really doesn't end up, it's not about what other people think about what you're doing. Right? Any, anytime we enter into something for what will people say or, or what will I feel about that, we're missing the point. But there's an opportunity to seek the Lord. And my aim for the message this morning from Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, is simply the introduction, and you're going to see how all of this comes together. How the writer of Hebrews, you know, we just came out of Galatians. And in Galatians, Paul was dealing with the Judaizers. The Judaizers were going back to their teaching they believed grounded in Moses. And you remember what Paul did, he said, I'm going to one-up you. I'm going all the way back to Father Abraham. How was he saved before the law? When Hebrews is written, it's written to Jewish people. The writer of Hebrews says, I'm going to go beyond Moses, and I'm going to go beyond Abraham. I'm going to go all the way back, go with me to the garden. The gospel is grounded in creation. This is for all people. So, we are all without excuse, Paul writes in Romans. And so as, as I'm going to invite you, a portion of reading each day, go through Hebrews with us as we prepare our hearts, and we're doing something different this year on Easter morning, that Sunday morning, resurrection morning, 6.30 a.m., we're going to be at the property because this is all blending together with the offering that will be received next Sunday and every first Sunday of the month as we're trusting God to meet our need in our regular budget, but we're also asking him to do above all we can ask or think and see the $96,000 debt on the office and the property, the 10 acres, it's our only debt we have as a church, to have that wiped out, done away with in this year as we're meeting with the architect and we're planning and we're preparing in and there are other things that God is doing because he's risen. And so Easter morning, we're going to be on the place that God has given to this church almost 30 years ago. And we're saying, hey, Lord, you're alive. You own all things. How about we build you a place of worship here that we can be exposed to thousands of people that everybody knows where 30 Mile and Gratiot is in the whole metro area. And we don't belong particularly to a city, but we have a citizenship in heaven. And we want everybody in every city and township in this region to have an opportunity to come and worship Jesus. And the question is why? 
Why worship Jesus? Why worship the one, this Nazarene, who was put on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago and left like a piece of meat to die? Why should everything in my life be rooted and grounded and directed to him? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Because that's what Hebrews answers. It's the title of the message. Because Jesus is better. You got a promotion at work? That's great. Jesus is better. You have no children? Jesus is better than having children. You have a lot of children? Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything, anything we can put in the place. Better than Abraham, better than Moses. He's better. So we worship him. Now, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. And I remember I was there when they, the Bulls were winning their championships. And I loved when a game would come on, they finished the warm-ups, the lights would go out, and what became the United Center, the lights would go out and the song would play and my heart would beat a little faster. Dun, 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 dun. And now, your world champion, Chicago Bulls, everybody gets excited. They go through the lineup, the starting lineup, and they would get to the fifth player, always waiting, from North Carolina, at guard, 6-6, Michael Jordan. And everybody that was a Chicago Bull fan was, yeah, excited, thrilled. Everybody who wasn't, frustration, don't like that guy. If he's in the lineup, we're going to have a harder time winning this game. They're not announcing him anymore. His days of being announced as a starting, in the starting lineup for a professional team is no more. Imagine if you were given the opportunity to give the introduction for Jesus. The keynote speaker at this wedding, this funeral, <laughs> this gathering, this gathering in the synagogue, this gathering out on the hillside, ladies and gentlemen, coming from heaven, <laughs> born in a nowhere stable to nobody parents, from Bethlehem, from Nazareth, is the one who reigns over everything. Who is, you want to say undefeated? He's undefeated, even including death, hell, and the grave, and Satan, and all his foes. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus of Nazareth, and he's worthy. Can you imagine that privilege, that responsibility to introduce the Lamb of God? Now, today we're going to look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. The next four weeks, we're going to start a series, and it's going to be living boldly. What happens when all different types of people meet this Jesus of Nazareth? How does their life change? How do they live boldly when that wasn't what they woke up that morning thinking they were wanting to do? 
How does that happen? It comes through meeting Jesus and realizing, not having it beat in your head, Jesus is better, but from your heart realizing Jesus is worthy. He's better than, than anything you can put in the blank. Jesus is better. And then at the end of March, Isaac Shaw Jr. is going to be with here. Uh, he's going to be with us here. We're preparing him. I think he's going to speak. I don't know what all that day looks like. Then it's Palm Sunday. Then it's Easter. All right, so we're going to blink. And this time is going to go quickly. But I want us to take time and slow down and remember Jesus. Slow down and worship Jesus. Think about the cross. Think about Christ. You're in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to hear your word, to receive your word, to delight in your word, and to obey your word from the heart. Give us that ability by your spirit, we pray, even today, Lord. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your worship guide, you'll see a place on the back where you can fill out where we're going to look at this, all right? When, when we come from one series and we transition into another, some of you are relatively new. The first series that in 2006, when I was called to serve as a pastor here, I didn't know a lot. I had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. I knew one thing, though. We have to agree on who Jesus is. The first series that we went through in 2006 is Who is Jesus Christ? That's where ministry started together. We have to agree on the person and work of Jesus. And we've covered so many in the New Testament, Old Testament. And I just want to look at this this morning. Why? All right? One of our five distinctives, number one, is Christ-centered preaching, that we exalt Jesus Christ in all of the messages. We're not exalting a man. We're proclaiming the word of God without apology. So I, I don't follow up that Jesus, you know, in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm sorry about that. You, you won't hear me say that. You'll not hear an apology when we're speaking the word of Christ, when we're speaking the word that brings, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we do not apologize for the word of God. What we often have to apologize is for how we handle the word of God, how we handle relationships, how we handle one another, things we say, reactions, those things we have to apologize for. For the word of God, we don't apologize. We want to be gracious we want to be meek, but we do not apologize for the word of God. The preaching that we intend and aim to do is expositional, okay? It's a long word, big word. What does it mean? It means to expound. It means to bring out of. 
the text, what the meaning is. John Stott gives a helpful definition. And he says this, talking about exposition, to expound scriptures is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. So that's what we're doing through the week when we're preparing to preach a sermon, is what did God say? It's written. Well, what did it say in the original language? Let's understand that. How do we understand that in our language? We have to go back through all that time, the distance, the language barriers, bring it forward to today. What has God said? What did he mean? Have you ever been in a Bible study and somebody says, well, there's my verse, and you know what that means to me? Lovingly, it doesn't matter first. What matters of first importance is what did God mean? What did God say? What did he intend? Now that we understand it, so then how should I respond is much better, much clearer, much more accurate than, well, what that means to me is. I mean, we can enter anything, you know. Well, you know, Lincoln wore a hoodie today, and what that means to me is, if that isn't why he wore the hoodie, it has no bearing on any truth, but I can believe it all I want to. He just saw that thing and said, I want to wear that. That's what I'm wearing. Sometimes people do that with scripture. So to expound, the expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. Does that sound like a difficult thing to do? Yes. It requires time, prayer, humility, study to bring and to take the word of God and not make it more confusing. Have we all had those teachers? Like you took their class and you understood less about the topic when you finished than when you started and you wish you would have never met them? And you hear of a, somebody else, another student, took the same course, different professor, and like, this class is awesome! And you're like, really? I didn't know. Why did I sign up for that professor? I didn't know. Nobody told me. So pray for me. Preaching is not giving a TED Talk. It is not a motivational speech. It's not the coach gathering the, the people around and I'm going to fire you up and send you back in. Preaching, Jesus says, be careful how you hear. Preaching, we do this together. I'm declaring the word of God and you, I need you lifting up my hands as it were, like they lifted up Moses' hands in the battle. And you're lifting up whoever's bringing the word of God. We're in this together saying, God, make plain the scriptures to me. Help them to not confuse me. Help them to declare it clearly so I can understand it. We're in this together in this family of God. And that's pleasing to the Lord. Why study the Old and New Testaments? All right, so where are we going? We're going to look at some in the Gospel of John, the next four weeks, four different individuals that meet Jesus in the Gospel of John. Then Isaac's going to be here, then the resurrection. Then we're going to, we're planning on going into Nehemiah in the Old Testament, right? And, and we see him. Why go back and forth between the Testaments? Why Old Testament and New Testament? Jesus, in a temptation and answering the devil, he says to him, it is written. So he's quoting Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone. So Jesus obviously thought it was important to know the Old Testament, part one. You need what happened in the first half if you're going to understand, well, what's going on in the second half, all right? So then when Jesus rises from the dead and he's walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and their eyes are withheld, they can't see that it's, that it's Jesus. They don't understand that it's Jesus. And Jesus, why are you so sad? 
And they asked Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, how come you don't know all what everybody knows in Jerusalem? You haven't heard? What rock have you been under? Paraphrase there. And Jesus proceeds to then tell them he doesn't lightning bolt zap them. He doesn't say, you idiots, don't you know who I am? He's patient with them. And he gives the greatest message not recorded in scripture, but it is recorded in scripture. We just have to do the work to find it. Jesus did this beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them all in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Old Testament begins with the books of Moses. Okay, so understand, you think I preach a long time sometimes? I, I do, all right, every now and then. But if you've noticed, Pastor Jamie's been taking longer and longer in the offering time. All right, are you with me on this? Why? Because I've noticed over these past couple years what God is doing in him. It burns in you and you have a desire to tell it. Jesus said, get out your notebooks, chapter one, Genesis, I'm gonna show you myself all the way to Malachi. In one message, he preached himself from the Old Testament. Then they got to where they're parting ways and Jesus asked, I'm going to go on. I don't, you know, I'm not going to impose on you. And they're like, no, come. You're going to eat with us. Come on, come eat with us. All right, I'll come with you. They sit down. And it's not until Jesus in Luke 24 receives the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and they go, oh. That's why that was the best message I've ever heard in my entire life. It's Jesus. And then he's taken from their sight. And they bolt back to Jerusalem. Their trip back, they're just sitting there with their minds of, they're alive with, that's what was going on in the Old Testament. And that's what was going on. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if you take a doze and you forgive everything in the sermon, I want you to remember something. This book is all about Jesus. As a church, by God's grace, we want to be all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when Jesus preaches the Old Testament to those two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus, he has one message, and it's not selfish. It's the kindest, most loving message ever given. Worship Jesus. It's what we were made for. It's what we're created for. This book is supernatural. 66 books, think about this, compiled over the span of about 1,500 years, 40 different authors, different genres, different styles of literature in this one book, 10 civilizations, three languages, one theme. I said in the first service, when our family of five tries to figure out where we're going to eat, we can't get one theme. <laughs> oh, not there. I don't like that. Over there. Just think, this is a supernatural book. This is no ordinary book. And my prayer is that I will whet your appetite and I will allow by the Spirit of God, you'll think about what place does this book have in my life on a daily basis right now. This is the book. Does my life show the value of this book? Am I prioritizing this book in my life? Think about the message, right? There's one theme, and Carl Barth said it this way. He said, I've read many books, but the Bible reads me. If we're honest, beloved, sometimes that's why we don't read the Bible is because it's, it's stepping on our toes. It's pointing out our sin. But it's okay for us to pray the prayer, Lord, show me my sin and show me my Savior. We need both sides of that coin. We want to be honest, 
We want to be humble, but we can deal with the sin. We can go somewhere with the sin. We go to Christ. Think about this, the message of the Bible, the whole Bible, it's all about Jesus. I, I'm recommending a resource to you. I, I came in the mail, I heard it advertised, Alistair Begg's program, Truth for Life, and they were advertising this at the end of the program. And I'm like, I want to get that book. It, I ordered it, I love Amazon. Thursday came Friday. I had this read before I went to bed Friday night. I couldn't put it down. I started it. And you're, don't be so impressed, all right? It's, not, it's, big, it's big print. There's a lot of big things in there, okay? It wasn't that intensive, but I'm telling you this book. I would love for you to get get this book, get somebody else, get the book, have coffee, you know, whatever times. There's like nine chapters in here and just talk about what you're learning and, and how, and the subtitle is this, Before You Open Your Bible, Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word by Matt Smethurst excellent resource. This is one of the things that he highlights in here is the theme of scripture. He talks about the Old Testament. There's anticipation. Christ, Messiah, we're waiting on Messiah. There's anticipation. There's anticipation. Then there's the gospels, his manifestation that we've been waiting. He's here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. In the Acts, the book of Acts, there's a proclamation, right? The, Jesus ascends. He says, wait, the Spirit will come. The Spirit comes, Acts 1.8. And Jesus promises that. The Spirit comes. Acts 2, they preach. Persecution comes. They're sent out. And people everywhere are hearing the gospel and coming to faith in Christ. The, the, the message of the gospel is proclaimed. In the epistles, we see the explanation that's what we just studied in Galatians. How does this whole message work? How do we apply this to false teaching, to uh, everyday areas of our lives? And then the revelation. It's a consummation. This is where it's all going. This is the point of all creation. And so when we think about the gospel, and the he Hebrews is going all the way back to the beginning, this is the message of Scripture. So my question for us this morning, beloved, is this. How well are we listening? Are we listening to the voice of God. This morning we're going to see this. First of all, God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. This is God's special revelation, specific revelation, God disclosing himself. He didn't have to do this. Aren't we always just brought to, you know, tears when somebody, not always, but there's times when someone famous and they see someone and they come and they minister to someone in a hospital bed or they minister to someone who's a nobody and they didn't have to do that. And if they follow it up with, you know what, here's my address and here's my phone number and if you need anything, you call me. It's self-disclosure. It's I'm letting you in. God didn't owe that to us. Listen, beloved, God spoke long ago. And this is the whole period of the Old Testament. This is the truth unfolding that our God, the creator God, the living God, he is a speaking God, beloved. This is why words matter. What we say matters. Language matters. And so where we live right now, words and meaning are trying to be diminished. That a word doesn't really mean anything. Because if you can lose meaning in words, then everything is up for grabs and you can basically do whatever you want to do and think whatever you want to think and tolerant people let everything fly except people who don't tolerate what letting everything fly. God spoke. 
the Bible opens, in the beginning, God. Creation account, let there be, and there was. He created all things. I love what uh, Matt writes in here. He says this, he says um, about a talkative God. He said, if the existence of the Bible reveals anything about God, it's that he is a talker. He could have remained silent. He really could have, but he didn't. Your Bible is tangible evidence that the maker of the universe is a communicator. He's someone who initiates, who reveals, who speaks. This ought to humble us deeply. The Bible you possess is evidence that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. No matter who you are or how many times you've spurned his love, he is still moving toward you, still talking to you, still befriending you through a book, the living word of God. Have you ever had somebody ghost you? What's that? Give you the silent treatment? Why won't they text me back? Why won't they answer my email? Why won't they take my phone call? Why is the person in my family not talking to me anymore? What is going on? Maybe you deserved it. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you have given someone the silent treatment. Maybe you think they deserved it. Maybe they didn't. Let me Can we just flatten this all out? We deserved God to give us the silent treatment and he didn't. I deserve silent treatment from God and he gave me his word and he gave me his son. So when you really think about giving someone the silent treatment, where does that come from? Let me answer it this way, not heaven. You're sensible people, we can figure out where that comes from. God spoke long ago. God spoke at many times. Over the course of hundreds of years, God's word came repeatedly. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Then they sinned, and God made a way. God told Noah, build a boat. He spoke with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, confirmed a covenant with them. He called Moses from a burning bush, go deliver my people. He has spoken at many times. He spoke long ago. God has spoken in many ways, through dreams, through visions. The prophets would often say, the word of the Lord came to me. Sometimes it was called the burden of the Lord. It was weighty. That often the, the message that the Lord would have Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah deliver, put them in trouble, put them at odds with the king. It wasn't them sitting in some back room coming up with the next bestseller and my life will get better when I can just help people out and give them some tips. Their lives were often flushed after the word of the Lord came to them. But they knew it was the word of the Lord, and so they stood up and they delivered the word of the Lord without apology. God spoke through a donkey. That gives me a lot of hope. Like, you know, I'm not sure, you know. Well, he spoke through Balaam's donkey, so, hey, if he can use a donkey, Lord, hello, today, can you use me, February 23rd? Here's some people. This is your word. I think you can. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He spoke to Elijah in the still, small voice. Right? Spoke in many ways. He spoke to our fathers. The Israelites belong to the God who speaks. This is contrasted with the nations who serve idols. Psalm 115 is one of the passage that deals with idols and you make the idols and you have to carry the idols around and you, they have eyes and they don't see. They have lips and they don't speak. They have ears and they don't hear. They're dumb idols. 
The difference was, and the difference between serving idols that cannot save and the God who delivers is all right there. Either your God, your does it deliver you? If it cannot deliver you, it's an idol. Cannot save you. Ask Pharaoh. Ask Nebuchadnezzar. Who saves? Which God delivers? Which God reigns and rules over all times, all places, all peoples? Nebuchadnezzar will say, let me tell you, his kingdom was without end. He exalts whomever he wants to exalt and he puts down whoever he wants to put down. Worship this God. What a call to worship. God spoke to the fathers, but he spoke by the prophets. He spoke by the prophets These holy men of God, they didn't come up with their own ideas to share, but they delivered the word of the Lord. In in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, Peter talks about the prophets, how God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. And he said, knowing this, first of all, this is of greatest importance. Understand this. This is out right top, front and center, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Daniel didn't come up with his own thing to bring. You know, uh, Daniel, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. Joseph, I've heard you can interpret dreams. Oh, I can't. What? But the God that I serve knows all about it, and he can tell you, oh, you're connected. He's a communicating God. Um, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we hold this book. This isn't ideas of men. This is the word of God. That men were carried along by the Holy Spirit and delivered to us the message that God would have us to have. So when you think about Daniel, you think about Jonah, you think about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, any of the prophets, Ezekiel, is it better to be a prophet? That's good. He spoke in time past, many ways, many different times. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets, But what's better than being a prophet of God, a minister of God, a servant of God? The son of God. The son of God. God spoke, secondly, through his son in the New Testament. So it's wonderful, it's amazing that God spoke to us by the prophets, to the fathers, in the Old Testament, in so many different ways. But what's better than that is he has spoken to us in the last days by his son, Jesus is the greatest and clearest revelation of God. And so here the writer of Hebrews is going to just expound, and he's just going to say, you know, and now in this corner, which is actually the whole corner of the universe, is Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he starts halfway there through verse two. He's whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In, 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 In Greek, this is one. One through four is one long sentence. Your, your English teacher would be like, no, 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 you got to break that down. You got to have some punctuation. English, put some punctuation. In the Greek, it's one run on. Once I got started, there wasn't a place to stop. I just can't stop pointing you, telling you about Jesus. He's worthy. Uh, First of all, we see Jesus is the heir of all things. This is one description. The son is the heir of all things because all things belong to God, his father. Whatever belongs to the father 
It's committed all things to the son. This is very Jewish in understanding that the father would give the inheritance to the son and it's now all his. That's why the older brother was so mad when his younger brother came back. Like, hey, I already gave you what, you know, now get away. I don't, I'm not gonna give you any more. And he's upset with his father. Jesus is saying, the son, whatever belongs to the father, this is my divine inheritance because I'm the son, second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the chief agent of creation. Through Jesus, all things exist. He created all things. Where else do we see in scripture this reality that not only is Jesus the heir of all things, but that he's the chief agent of creation is in the gospel of John. And in John chapter one, we see in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, here, logos is the Greek word there. It's Jesus. He's the word. He's the living word. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is his eternality, all right? He wasn't the first created being. He wasn't the best created being. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The deity of Christ, the divinity of Christ, the triune God is on display in the opening verses of John's gospel as it is in this message, the book of Hebrews. If you're the creator, you're the owner. Isn't that a big deal? Copyright? Hey, I invented that. And then you stole it. You took the intellectual properties and you stole it. And we got to have somebody get that because that was mine. Remember Yokiro Taco Bell, right? And those two guys were like, they sued Taco Bell. That was our idea. And you're like, no, that's a dumb idea. Stupid idea. Get out of our corporate boardroom. And then what? A month, two later, a year later, on the advertising for Taco Bell, the little chihuahua, yo quiero Taco Bell. <laughs> and the guys are like, that's our idea. And they sued him and they won. You stole our idea and you took it as your own. Think about this. He's the heir of all things. If he's the creator, he's the owner. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He continues the sun perfectly and vividly displayed the glory of God. So throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we see manifestation of glory. Moses, he was an eyewitness to the Shekinah glory up on the mountain there at the bush um, when the bush was burning, when the tabernacle is inaugurated and the glory of God descends and forces out all the, the priests. They can't minister. Solomon witnessed the glory of God when the temple was inaugurated and then the glory of God fills the temple. All the priests, same thing happened again. You got to get out. You can't live. You can't breathe. You can't make it in the presence of God here. Isaiah beheld the glory of God and Isaiah Isaiah 6, Ezekiel had visions of God's glory. New Testament, Peter, James, and John, go with me. Jesus takes them up to the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And there, just imagine this, the veil, the flesh is pulled back and Peter, James, and John witness the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And what is Peter like? Oh, let's build some tents. Men's camp out right here. And, and, and the Father in heaven says, hey, it's my beloved son. Hear him. Psh, Peter, stop talking. You're going to go back down, but this is just a preview. This is just a sneak, piece, a sneak peek at what is. Revelation, it's just a glimpse 
of the other throne, the higher throne, the world that is to come. It's unveiling. It's not keeping it all hidden. It's unveiling enough that we can handle that leads us to worship and wonder. Saul of Tarsus, he came face to face with the glory of God on the road to Damascus, blinded him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who art thou, Lord? I can't see. Can someone help me? Where are we going? Where's my donkey? Where's the road? There's the road. Where, which direction do we go? But his spiritual eyes were open that he met the resurrected Lord Jesus. He was never the same. Jesus is the perfect display of God's character. And this word in the original language refers to something engraved or impressed, like a coin that bears the image of a noble person, a monarch, a ruler, somebody of authority. There's a danger here, okay, in, in, in taking men's um, artistic depictions of who Jesus, what he might have looked like, you know. Well, for one thing, he wasn't European, blonde hair, blue eyes, okay? The Bible describes Jesus in Isaiah that there was really nothing that you would desire about him. He was a normal guy. And oh, how much time we spend into trying to make our appearance look more than normal. And Jesus is like, I'll just go with normal. Nothing impressive about him. He was just God in flesh. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Jesus, Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. His word not only is life-giving, but it is also life-sustaining. In Colossians 1, verse 17, Paul writes, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So understand this. When Jesus is holding all things together by his word, it's not like you and me trying to hold our lives together, our checkbook together, our body together, you know? our diet and exercise, our, our, our well-being, our mental capacities, like it's work, you know, hold my schedule together and get everybody where they got to go. That, that's, not, that's not Jesus. His word holds it all together. And if his word isn't holding it together, it just... It's his word. This is power. Jesus is the purifier for our sins. It's nothing that can wash away our sins except the blood of Jesus. And this word purifier of our sins, it's a word that the writer of Hebrews is an unusual word that he's introducing here in the New Testament, but it pulls all the imagery of the Old Testament sacrificial system back on the table. And he's simply saying, you remember all of that? All the bloodshed, all the animals, all the procedures, all the routines, all the sacrifices, it was all pointing to Jesus. So pull all that imagery forward now and he's looking back on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and he's saying, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is better than all Aaron, his sons, all of them. Jesus is better. They were all foreshadowing Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is our high priest. He didn't offer another dove or a bird you know, or a, a goat or a bull or a ram. He offered himself once for all. You're going to see that through Hebrews. Once for all, one sacrifice was sufficient. He was humiliated one time, never to be humiliated again. 
He is now glorified and exalted. And that's what, uh, for, in, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, and he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So beloved, if you're in Christ, you don't have to go through me or a pastor or an elder to get to God. You go directly to God through Jesus. I don't know everything about you and you don't know everything about me. You don't want to know everything about me. I love you, but I don't want to know everything about you. Jesus knows everything about you and he still loves you. I just want to say it clearly. If our love for people, calling ourselves Christians, if our love for people only runs as far as people do everything that we want them to do, it's not Christian love. It's something else. Jesus knows you all the way to the bottom of your being. And he loves you. And he's not going anywhere. He will, by his spirit, through his word, through the church, conform us to the image of Christ. He's worthy. He's our mediator. Jesus is not only the purifier for our sins, but Jesus is now seated in victory. His work of redemption is finished. He's done everything necessary. He's seated. This is a sense of accomplishment. Mission accomplished, finished. And it wasn't a joke and it wasn't halfway and it wasn't a misstatement. It's true. He's seated. And then when Stephen is martyred at the hands of Saul of Tarsus, you remember, and we've looked at this in Acts 7, that that Jesus is actually standing a standing ovation, all of heaven, paying attention to the first martyr for the sake of the gospel of the church, and he is welcomed. I, I just have to believe that when Saul when became Paul and Paul's head was ultimately chopped off, this person number two he wanted to see in heaven was Stephen. You never gave up. You kept telling me about Jesus and I hated you more than anyone could hate somebody. I hated you. And you kept preaching Jesus and you died not cursing, not you owe me and you did me wrong and God, you failed me and oh, these people. And that's not how he died. He died almost in the same fashion that Jesus died. Forgive them and fell asleep in peace and then was stoned martyred Jesus is seated in victory Jesus is superior far above the angels angels are God's messengers the fallen angels are demons a third of heaven followed Lucifer followed Satan their destiny their their ultimate end is destruction and hell and judgment but then there's holy angels the messengers of God Angels like Gabriel. Jesus is better. Old Testament, one angel, one night, 185,000 Assyrians were dead next morning. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's superior, far above angels. Jesus' name is more excellent than any other. So we sing the song, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Do, Do you ever just, when you're driving or when you're just being quiet and you turn stuff off, just think about, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The sweetest name I know, Jesus. His name is more excellent than any other name. Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians 1.21, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, the one who humbled himself became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above how many other names? Every other name. There's no name great. It's the name Jesus Christ, our Lord. This beautiful name. So he gives this introduction. He, he just, he lays out, his, this is where I'm going. This is what this book is all about. I'm going to point to you. I'm going to show you Jesus. And then where we bring it down for us today is, so how do we respond to this? God the Father calls sinners by his spirit to worship his son. This is a triune God involved in anyone, anyone who gets saved. The whole triune God is involved. The Father calls sinners by his spirit to worship his son. All active in creation and redemption. The triune God. What's true about the whole book of Hebrews is absolutely true about the whole Bible. And it's an invitation to come and worship. And I want you to go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. I want you to hear when Jesus' time is drawing near, his enemies are becoming more and more enraged. They hate him. They will not have him to reign over them. He tells them a parable. And I want you to listen to this parable and hear how Old Testament and New Testament all comes together in this teaching from Jesus. Matthew 21, uh, look there in your Bibles, verse 33 is where we're going to begin, and Jesus says here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, stoned another. And he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, verse 37, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and we'll have his inheritance. Okay, when does that happen? Hey, I killed your son. Can you cut me in the family deal? Okay, that's what sin does to us. We can laugh at them, but that's what sin does to your thinking and mine too. It makes us think really stupid things are legit. Sinful things. Let's, let's commit murder and we'll get the inheritance. And they took him, verse 39, and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore, not what if, the owner. It's when, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And here we got the Sunday school, junior church, church brat kids going, I know, I know. Judgment's coming. He's going to deal with them. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? Do you not know your Bibles? Do you not know the Old Testament? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's talking to his countrymen, Israelites, the ones who would have him committed to Pilate to be killed on a Roman cross. 
Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The whole message comes down to this scripture. This is the whole message of the whole Bible. If you fall on Christ like a sacrifice on an altar, you find forgiveness, mercy, grace, redemption, adoption, never-ending life because you fall on, you trust in Christ. Uh, when the Spirit falls, we fall at, our, at, at his feet. We fall on our knees. We fall at his feet. That's what this is saying. If you fall on Christ, if you trust in him, if you surrender to him, you find life that never ends. But if someone says, no, I'm not going to do that. He's beneath me. I'm more important. I'm better. This is better. I want to do that. I want to go here. My opinion is more important than Jesus. If anything, anything is better than Jesus, then this is what awaits them. And when he falls on anyone, this stone the builders rejected, he's talking about himself, it will crush him. So the question for us this morning is this. Have you fallen on Christ? Or is the day coming when judgment falls on you? Because that day does not have to come because judgment fell on him on the cross and he took it for us. That's why Jesus is better. Because he didn't die for his own sin. Because he had no sin. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Have you fallen on Christ? Or do you need to fall on Christ? That's everybody in this room. You have fallen or you need to fall and trust in him today. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel, for Christ for your church, for your glorious church. Father, I pray that you will take this word and by your spirit, you will apply it to hearts. For those who are here and we have trusted in you, Lord, we thank you that you have spoken in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Oh, but we praise you that in these last days you have spoken to us by your son. And Jesus, you are worthy. the person who's never trusted in you, Father, may today be the day where they turn from their sin and they trust in you. They surrender everything to you. Thank you that you are good and you do all things well. May we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.